up, everybody. You're now at your favorite stop for all things sports, politics, and culture. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast with Devon Pouncey, a production of ThatCast Network. Hey now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here in, what city is this? What? <laughs> we in Hillsboro. Different not being in is the LTV Hillsboro, studio. Portland, yeah, so. Hillsboro. We're in Hillsboro right now. We are actually. Change of location. Change of location. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> it's not permanent, by the way. Yeah. It's not permanent, but. We expanded um, the setup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we're working on some things, and you all actually will be able to benefit from it, and. This will be episode 91 today, so at about the 100th episode, you'll understand why we are not in Portland, Oregon today, but we will be back in Portland, Oregon. The Living the Dream studios are still up and running, so any uh, business inquiries... Anybody that yeah. wants to come mm-hmm. in and record, yeah. it's still up and running. We haven't and, and looking better than it, ever right now, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely looking good, and it's being worked on, being remodeled, refurbished, all of that. So we're here in Hillsboro, Oregon today. We are not at the Living the Dream Studios, but as you all already hear, I the got D-Boy alongside stop. me. The show does not stop. The party never ends, and D-Boy is here. What's going on, D-Boy? It's popping, man. I'm, I ain't, I ain't going to say I'm on jet lag. I'm well-rested, fresh back from L.A., we're going to get into all that, but Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. Absolutely. Um, a few quick announcements, as I always like to start the show off with. Um, I would have announced today's basketball game, but I literally just came from a huge game at Portland State. They beat the University of Montana, the Montana Grizzlies, who is the first place team in the Big Sky Conference. It was a whiteout at the Viking Pavilion. It was a great turnout. The fans came out in numbers. Holland, Holland Boo Boo Woods, the star point guard for Portland State, scored 39. He was 21 for 21 from the free throw line tonight, which is a crazy stat. And it also was a record at Portland State set tonight by Boo Boo, who's also set a couple records this year. Most all-time assists, most all-time steals. He's now in the top 10 in all-time scoring. And he still has another year left after this season is over. So just... Be expecting to hear more from him as long as I'm at Portland State. And obviously, him having another year there as well, you'll be hearing his name a lot more <clears throat> on this podcast. Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, I'm not announcing that game because it's over. Um, but I will announce next Friday, the 7th, February 7th, I will be at Export. I'll actually be there the next two Fridays. So it'll be February 7th, I'll be there. And also on Love Day, February the 14th, I will be spinning at Export as well, so come out and enjoy yourselves both nights. I will be on the call this weekend um, at Pacific University. Tomorrow I'll be at Pacific, and Saturday the game will be at Linfield, which is a rivalry game. For those of you that know a little bit about the D3 hoops or know a little bit about the Northwest Conference and my alma mater, Pacific University, where I came from. So, yeah, that's what I got coming up. Always staying booked and busy. Oh, also, I have an article in tomorrow's newspaper in print. It will actually be about Kobe Bryant, who we will talk about here shortly. But I was able to do kind of an in-memoriam piece on Kobe Bryant and Street Roots. But I did something unique. Obviously, um, there's so much coverage on Kobe Bryant, rightfully so. So much coverage on his daughter, Gianna Bryant, and the seven others killed in the helicopter crash in Calabasas. Again, rightfully so. 
But what I did was I went and had a conversation with a lot of my vendors who majority of them are homeless. And those of you that know what we do over at Street Roots, uh, we're a newspaper publication and we have a vendor program, which I happen to manage. And many of our vendors are homeless or impoverished and they sell the newspaper as a low barrier income opportunity. Um, but one thing is for sure we got a lot of sports fans in our vendor program, and Kobe Bryant has been a topic of conversation, obviously, this week, but far before that, when we talk about the greatest of all time debates, and, you know, obviously, the Portland Trailblazers, that's the local basketball team here in the city of Portland, and Portland and the Lakers have always kind of had a little bit of a rivalry there, so his name obviously has come up for all the incredible reasons of what he was able to do throughout his basketball career. So I got about 10 quotes from 10 different vendors and talking about what Kobe Bryant meant to them, what his impact meant to them. So make sure that you buy a newspaper if you are here in the city of Portland tomorrow because it will be out. Also, I was published in this past week's newspaper as well for doing a Q&A with Valerie Cleary. And I want to talk about that a little bit later on in the episode, but there's something of significance that I think came from that Q&A that I had with Valerie Cleary, who is the athletics director at Portland State, an African-American woman. So obviously we don't see many of those at Division One schools uh, being athletic directors. You just really don't see it. Like 10% of athletic directors at Division One schools are women. So there's even a less number than that that are athletic directors that are women and also of color. So you go to news.streetroots.org to read that article, and I will follow up on that later on in the episode. But unless you got any announcements, D-Boy, we got to get off to a sober and start to today's Come episode. Come on, let's do it. I'm ready. And it is the unfortunate, tragic, heartbreaking, shocking, unexpected helicopter crash that took place in Calabasas, California, where Kobe Bryant, who was 41 years old, his daughter, Gianna Bryant, and as I mentioned, seven others, the Altabelli family, there are seven others on the helicopter that crashed in Calabasas, California. All nine passengers, uh, including the pilot, passed away. Um, D-Boy, you were in LA, so we'll definitely talk about how that was for you being out in Southern California during all of that happening. You just got back yesterday from Southern California last night, I believe. So we'll definitely talk about what that experience was like being in that city after such a tragic happening took place there. Um, but for me, I guess I'll just start off. I want to just start off about what Kobe Bryant meant to me. Um, I'll obviously get into a lot more surrounding Kobe Bryant as this conversation gets a little deeper. But um, for me, Kobe Bryant was an idol. He was obviously an icon to many of us, whether you loved Kobe, whether you hated Kobe. Either way, you felt strongly about Kobe. Positive, negative, love, hate, whatever. The feeling that you had about Kobe Bryant was strong. Well, my feeling was strong, and it happened to be more on the side of love. Growing up a Kobe Bryant fan, growing up a Lakers fan because of Kobe Bryant, um, he was the guy that I really looked up to in the NBA. Me being able to grow up and eventually play 
collegiate basketball myself, still being around the game as an analyst, as I just mentioned. I just left Portland State tonight from doing a game and literally came here to record this podcast. There was a tribute before the game. We had a 24-second moment of silence and a, a, a video-slash-picture slideshow on the big screen today at Portland State University. Um, but really, just to dig deeper on what he meant to me, growing up, um, I would say when it comes to my love and my passion for sports, my father would probably be my biggest influence. Um, he, growing up, we played three sports. There was never a time where I wasn't playing sports as a child since I could remember at least. D-Boy, you obviously can attest to that as my older brother. Um, we grew up playing basketball, football, and baseball. Once baseball season was, baseball season was over, we were right into football. Once football season was over, we were right into basketball. And then once basketball season was over, what do you know? We're right back into baseball again. Never stopped. Never stopped. Never. But when I was 11 years old, um, I played in a baseball tournament and out in the Valley. It was either Stockton or Siri, somewhere in the Valley of Northern California. And I had a hell of a tournament. Ended up winning MVP of the tournament. Was hitting the shit out of the ball all tournament long. Um, I was highly successful playing against high-level players. I played for a pretty good traveling team at the time. At the time, It was just a huge weekend for me in this particular baseball tournament. So after the last game, I win MVP. I'm awarded with... They had shirts. They had trophies for the champions, and then they had shirts for the MVP, which happened to be me. And so after the game, we're driving back towards Vallejo, California, which was about an hour and a half away from where we were playing at. And I randomly from the back seat told my dad, I said, Dad, you know what? It was fun winning MVP of this tournament and everything, but I no longer want to play baseball. In fact, I no longer want to play football either. And my dad was sort of befuddled because obviously I had to have had fun going out there and winning MVP of this particular baseball tournament. And now right after leaving the tournament, before even making it home from the tournament that I win MVP in, You're already making decisions I'm making like decisions saying, I'm done with baseball. It's over. Never again. And so, fortunately, I did have a father who was supportive of my decision when it came to me choosing no longer to play baseball or no longer to play football, which I played about five years of Pop Warner before making that decision, starting from Mighty Mites to Junior Pee Wees to Pee Wees, etc. Y'all know how the game goes. And so, my biggest reason, like I said, Pops was confused, didn't really understand, but my biggest reason for making that decision was the love and the passion that I had for the game of basketball by way of idolizing and watching and ultimately wanting to emulate Kobe Bryant. And at the time, that wasn't the answer that I gave to my father when I decided to no longer play these other two sports that I was actually good at and played competitively at a high level. And once again, I'll say it, this time I'm bragging, but I just won MVP of the tournament. <laughs> And when I decided to no longer play, it really was Kobe Bryant that really instilled a certain love and a passion and a fire in me for the game of basketball more than any other sport, more than any other hobby, any other thing in life. Because 
of what he did and what he put on display night in and night out and how much of a fan it was that he made me. So ultimately, you, you move fast forward from 11 years old to just a few years ago in 2016. 2016 was the year that Kobe Bryant retired. 2016 was my last year playing collegiate basketball. So from the very young age, which I started playing basketball before I was 11, but obviously decided to play only basketball at the age of 11, from a very young age up until just four years ago now, going on four years ago, basketball and Kobe Bryant was who I idolized. It was what I looked up to. It was my passion. And it was ultimately the footsteps that I sort of followed when it came to how I wanted my life to go and pan out. So 2016 comes around. My senior night comes around. I end up being an all-conference player at Pacific University. Last official basketball game that I ever played on the hardwood. Obviously, a few months after my season ended, we see Kobe Bryant play his final game of his career. He goes for 61 points. Right after that, Kobe immediately went into being a creative. Me, being the big Kobe Bryant fan that I was, I immediately decided to go into being a creative. Then, shortly after that, there's an app on ESPN called ESPN+. Plus. Kobe Bryant decides to go be an analyst. So what do you know? I decide to go be an analyst. And now, last but not least, I would just have to say this part is coincidental. Kobe Bryant had all girls, all daughters. What do you know? Devon Pouncey has all girls, all daughters. So it's just something about Kobe Bryant that I really just sort of tried to mirror my life after, obviously, at my own level, he did what he did and completed and accomplished so much in his life at the highest of levels, winning Emmys, obviously, what he did on the court with his basketball career, being able to have his detail show on ESPN+, Plus, all things that I'm ultimately shooting for before it's all said and done, he was able to accomplish. But at my level and at my place and at my space that I am at currently in my life right now, that was who I sort of emulated my entire life after. Can't really speak to anybody else in that same manner than Kobe Bryant. So that's just a little bit of what Kobe Bryant means to me. And like I said, I'll get more into the conversation surrounding Kobe. But before that, D-Boy, I want you to chime in because, you know, everybody's having these conversations about where they were when they found out about Kobe Bryant's passing. And I think a lot of people will never forget where they were when finding out Kobe Bryant passed. For me, it was nothing too special. I was right at home, didn't believe the news. In fact, I called it fake news, but it did end up being real. In your case, though, you were in Southern California when the Facts. man passed away. Facts. And so I know that there was a different kind of feeling in that particular region than any other region in the entire world, even though he inspired, affected, and could speak languages of mm -hmm. all these different parts of the Facts, world. For real. Being in SoCal, can you kind of just illustrate for me with your words what it was like when you found out and how those few days were after his passing and everybody else's passing, because I don't want to forget that. But obviously, Kobe being who he is, yeah. what was it like after the tragic event, the day of and the few days following that you were out there for? Facts. Well, first off, um, before I get into the details of where I was at and the feeling and all that, um, I'm not going to get too deep into my personal 
adoration or how much of a fan of Kobe Bryant I was because, I mean, that's pretty much the norm right now. All the Kobe fans are, you know, speaking about how he impacted them and all of this kind of stuff. So I kind of like speaking on the fact of being in SoCal when I when I found out the news. So as everybody knows who listened to the show, um, I live here in Portland. I lived in L.A. for the past four or five years. And uh, before that, I, I grew up and was a Bay Area person the whole time. And although I can remember back to the NBA jam session for the All-Star uh, weekend in the Bay Area back when I was very youthful. That was um, like 2000? Yeah, 2000. Yep, yep. Uh, very youthful all the way down to, you know, just growing up in the Oracle Arena being the closest college, that was the Oakland Coliseum. You feel me? Yeah. So that was just <laughs> the closest right thing. There. That was the closest thing <laughs> to me. So, Same part um, I grew up watching the Warriors. I grew up going to the games and seeing the Warriors play. But because of Kobe Bryant, I was a Laker fan. And he was that impactful in that regards to where, because of him, that was the organization I was rocking with. And so, like I said, I'm not going to get too deep into all of the different times I've argued with people over him being the GOAT or, you know, all the countless Laker moments I remember him being a part of. But, um... I want to speak more on the fact that as such a big Kobe fan, it was definitely tough. First off, I was in L.A. from Saturday night up until yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. So Saturday night, I get picked up by one of my producers, and he picks me up from LAX. We do some small talking, just kind of catching up. And the first thing I say is, I ask him per se, is like, how you feel about LeBron passing up Kobe on the all-time scoring list, right? And he's like, man, like, that's crazy, huh? And I'm like, yeah, I'm bittersweet about it because growing up, I've always been not a LeBron hater because I appreciate LeBron and what he brings to the game. But with all the debates of LeBron, LeBron being better than Kobe or them being on the same plateau, like, I was a firm, I, I had Kobe back to the fullest, 100 out of 100 times. And so now with LeBron being on the Lakers and that being my favorite team, obviously I want to see him thrive. I want to see the team thrive. And I've become a bigger fan of LeBron, especially over the past three to five years with not only what he's done on the court, but off the court as well. So Saturday night I get picked up. We talking about how it's bittersweet that LeBron passes Kobe. And I'm still, uh, you know, I'm thinking that it's just regular general conversation and so we kind of get off that topic in the next morning, Sunday morning, I wake up in L.A. And what do we know the weather to be like in L.A. for the most part? 95% of the time. Sunny. Sunny. California beaches. Women weed and weather, I'm, I'm as Kendrick right Lamar there. would I'm say. I'm going to stop you right there at the beaches because that's exactly what I did. I woke up early on Sunday morning and I walked to the beach. And it wasn't super cold, but it was gloomy. And uh, like I said, I lived in Long Beach before, so I walked to the beach that I'm very familiar with. Noticed that they built like three basketball courts, gives you more of a Venice Beach feel. And uh, somebody was out there hooping in a Kobe jersey, which I just noticeably remember because I was out there. Kobe, my favorite player. So I'm like, oh, they got hoop courts here. I just walked along the whole little beach and just kind of soaked it in. It was my first morning being back in Long Beach. And so just soaked it in, walked the beach. At this time, it's about 8.30, 9 o'clock. So the Kobe situation hadn't even happened yet. 
So I walk, I do my walk, I get back to the crib, and I'm gathering my belongings, my underwear, and all that stuff to get ready to take a shower. And as I do that, I kind of take a pause in action and sit down on a futon, and I pick up my phone. If you follow me on any social media, you know that I'm extremely less active on Twitter than pretty much anything else, and I don't use Twitter much. But this particular day, I picked up my phone, Instagram was kind of dry, Facebook was whatever, and I went to Twitter, and one of the first tweets that I saw was posted a minute ago, and it said, Kobe Bryant dies in fatal helicopter crash. So me knowing that he just was, you know, just had the record broke big the night before, LeBron. big up LeBron, seen the pictures already, you know, social media moved fast, so I had seen all the pictures from, you know, the night before, and... Instantly, first mind is fake news. I'm on Twitter. I know it's a lot of BS on Twitter. You can find some good stuff too, but it's a lot of, it's mixed in. Fake news, drama, just a lot of stuff. So with the name, with the words. It's a wordy app. It's a wordy app. So (laughs) with the words Kobe Bryant and dies in helicopter crash, I didn't believe it. Um, Because it was only a minute ago in TMZ who has reported it, I typed his name in in a Google search. And at that time, nobody had broke the news but TMZ. So it made me extra think it was fake news. I refreshed Google twice. And by the second time I refreshed, I had about three to four other articles that said the same thing, but it said per TMZ. So I'm still thinking, okay, everybody just seen the same tweet that I just saw. Nothing is confirmed yet, but I'm still seeing per TMZ on everything. Sure enough, a few more minutes passed. And I start seeing credible sources. I start seeing the ESPNs, the CNNs, the ABC Sevens, and the reality set in. I made a few phone calls to some of the people closest to me, and then I broke down and start crying. I start crying some more, and I cried for a long time. And uh, I actually was in Southern California because I had to not only. Um, finish up some studio work in a studio session out in Long Beach, but I also needed to go to the fashion district in LA to buy some more merch and do some other clothing business. So my studio session was booked for Sunday night, 7 p.m. And uh, it was such an emotional day that I wanted to cancel, but I was so glued to my phone and not accepting the fact that this was real, that I was hoping something would come up, false alarm, whatever, even though I knew that wasn't the case at that point. It was too many credible sources, but I laid down, I took a nap. I tried to reset and recharge my energy before the studio session, and uh, about six o'clock, I end up ordering um, a lift. And when I ordered my lift, the lift driver picked me up, and the first thing he did was look back at me and give me like the pound fist, like, you know, showing some love. And he just, damn, man. And I already knew what he was talking about. I already knew the vibe. And as you know, with an Uber, it's rare for them to show any real connectional emotion with you. They going to say, hey, is this David? And then you moving. You feel me? But the fact that you felt the somber emotion in him just fist bumping me, it was crazy. And so he, he began talking about the Kobe Bryant situation and, everybody who was on the helicopter and the daughter and all of this stuff. And he proceeded to tell me that he had just took like a four to six hour break from driving because his energy was so thrown off. 
and I was the first ride that he picked up since taking that break, you know, to try to finish out his day driving. Still gloomy weather. Like I said, it's 6 o'clock at this time. It never was a peak of sunshine. It was a sad, slow day in L.A., which L.A. is never slow, and L.A. is never sad, and um, it just never changed. The, the vibe and the feeling never changed. So I get to my studio session, and I had a productive session, but it took everything in me at least twice that I caught myself holding back tears just off of the thought and the freshness of this being a reality. And so the next day, which was Monday, same thing. LA is down. It's sad. Now it's the first day we wake up with no Kobe Bryant. So the news is going crazy. Restaurants going crazy. I'm seeing pictures and billboards already in the streets of Long Beach. And it just was a sad, sad vibe the whole time. I would say just yesterday, the first half of the day before I left was the first time that it started feeling slightly like LA again. You heard a lot of homage being paid on um, the radio stations. You heard a lot of celebratory thing and reminiscent uh, vibes from all different kind of people. And uh, it was sunny. It was it was hot. It was sunny. And it just felt like LA. So I say um, all that to say, I felt honored being such a Kobe Bryant fan, being in LA at the time. Obviously, I wouldn't wish this on anything, anybody, especially Kobe Bryant, but LA was really Kobe Bryant's house. Kobe Bryant was a legend. He was, I don't want to throw the term God out there, but he was an icon icon in Los Angeles. And being such the fan that I am and being in the home in LA to see the homage that was paid to him, it just felt not right even leaving yet. So I was supposed to fly back on Tuesday night and I ended up staying till Wednesday just because it didn't feel right leaving LA. And so, like I said, I don't have to get too deep into how long I've been a fan or what kind of personal part or role he played in my life. But I will tell you, I was in LA. I'm thankful that I got a chance to be there firsthand. And uh, I'm a forever Kobe fan. I forever rock with him. I did while he was, you know, alive and I'll continue in 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 you know after death. That's that's my goal in the NBA. He's the reason that I was even though I played college baseball, basketball has always been my favorite sport undeniably. I still got the crazy eights from when he had an Adidas contract and I started wearing them today and I'll be wearing them for the next eight days just as a way for me to show my appreciation and pay my homage. That's dope. That's dope. Now so, I do want to ask you this because um, I think it was earlier today or yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday, earlier today, earlier today now, because it's not even midnight yet. But earlier today, this right. morning, I woke up to a tweet, mm-hmm. and the tweet was from Tyran Matthew. And uh, obviously, Matthew is getting ready to play in a huge game this weekend, the Super Bowl, which we'll talk about during our Taking L segment. It'll be a Super Bowl edition for Taking L's today. But. Um, Tyran Matthew tweeted something and I want to, I want to discuss this a little bit. Mm -hmm. He tweeted, I ain't listening to y'all no more. Wasted a whole decade arguing about Kobe and LeBron and Michael. And Kobe last tweet was thanking slash congratulating LeBron. We not hating no more. Even on the smallest level, we simply appreciating going forward. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
How do you feel about that tweet? Do you agree with what Tyran Matthew said? Because I know. I'll be honest with you. I do not. I like the tweet because I do think it was a tweet, obviously, worth talking about in our regard, us having a podcast. Plus, it was a way for me to be able I don't to go agree. right back. I don't agree. Because I don't. I don't agree. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why, though. I get where he's coming from wholeheartedly, 100%. But the reason that I don't agree is because having a favorite player hating it's a part of what makes sports and competition great if used the right way and it's something that was there before it's not wasted a decade because these comparisons were made far before Kobe Bryant and are going to be made far after and what I mean by that is Jordan got compared to somebody that was his predecessor and then Kobe comes after Jordan and uh LeBron, LeBron after, after Kobe. Kobe, and then it's gonna be somebody else that comes. Yon, you feel me? Exactly. Donchi, you never know. <laughs> and so that's something that's gonna be a part of the game, whatever sport, forever. But also, um, even me, I got personal friends that I'm talking about, like Trevor Thurn, who was a Kobe hater when Kobe was playing. I would say partially or more than partially because he used to beat their ass on whoever your favorite player or team was. <laughs> Kobe used to bust you. You feel me? Period. But even further than that, bro, I just think that if you if you love the game, if you appreciate entertainment, and that's whatever sport you're talking about, you're going to appreciate somebody like Kobe who was even in that top three greatest in the world debate, greatest of all time debate, however mm -hmm. you want to slice it. And it's like, you know, while you playing, it's like you might hate because you're so loyal to your team or your favorite player, but it doesn't take away from what Kobe Bryant brought to the game. Yeah. And I think that that's what I'm noticing is that it's people who I say I didn't argue with, I didn't watch hate on LeBron, and I don't feel no kind of negative way that they paying homage and posting Kobe and all of that because he still brought – such a iconic vibe to the game of basketball. He entertained so many people, even his haters. Even on a bad night, I posted something about every time Kobe Bryant was playing, it was Showtime TV. And I truly believe that because he can do anything. He can go for 60. He can go for 81. He can go for 20 and it's still, look, you know what I mean? Win a champion. He could, it's just, and it he just was, was in endless. LA. And so <laughs> I get it. what he was saying because it's like people do all this hating and stuff and then, it's kind of by the wayside when something so tragic happens. But like I said, I think that's a part of the game. And it wasn't like a true hate, like, fuck you kind yeah, of hate. It was more it so, was like I said, it was from I, a loyal stand with your team, stand with your player, and he wasn't everybody's guy. I think it was more so him, obviously, something far more important than basketball had just taken place with Kobe Bryant dying. And because Kobe Bryant did pay homage as his last tweet, his last post, and he wants these guys to start growing the game that, you know, we want to try to live up to what Kobe's last act was that we got to see on a public level. And it was that. But one thing about me, I'm more so stuck on the fact that Kobe Bryant harped so much on the Mamba mentality mm -hmm. and in being the killer that Kobe Bryant was. And we've heard it on ESPN. We've heard it on all these major networks. Everybody's talking about Kobe. But people are talking about the Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan comparison and how Kobe really idolized Jordan and really tried to be a better version of Michael Jordan than even Michael Jordan was. And he was pretty damn close to doing so. But 
One conversation that really sticks out to me is the conversation that Kobe had with Michael Jordan in telling him, check this out. If you was younger and you played during my generation, oh yeah, I would have bust your ass out there on that hardwood. And that ties into that Mamba mentality that I'm talking about because Kobe, when he was alive, told Jordan, I would have bust your ass. Kobe would say the same to LeBron. Kobe would say the same to anything, to anybody while he was alive. So I'm not going to sit here and diminish the mentality that we're all trying to kind of take heed of because he's mm -hmm. no longer here to put it on us the way that he did throughout his 41-year lifespan. I'm going to continue to have that competitive drive, that competitive spirit, and work even ethic, have the, it was a work, the work ethic. ethic and even have these conversations still without feeling like I'm downplaying Kobe or without feeling like I'm doing Kobe a disservice because his last tweet or his last post was big up and or congratulating LeBron. No way I'm going to stop having those conversations knowing the competitor, the fierce competitor that Kobe Bryant was while he was alive and how that led to him even in his death having the 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 uh influence that he had and that he still has even though physically he isn't here with us anymore. So I feel like it would be a disservice to stop having these conversations because when Kobe was here, he literally did everything he possibly could so the conversation would favor him when it was all said and done. <laughs> yeah, for real. And I'm going to add another uh, fact because I, I really want to paint that picture of being in L.A. real quick uh, before we move on. And uh, you knowing how kind of obsolete the, the newspaper, the physical newspaper is nowadays. A lot right. of people do some online reading, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But podcasts, a big news outlet now. But uh, Kobe Bryant's passing was the first time I've seen newspapers sell out in as long as I can remember. And I'm talking about people going on hunts for newspaper for two and three hours for the LA Times and not being able to score a, a newspaper print. And LA Times did do a great tribute to Kobe and Gigi. And uh, it was just crazy to see that I literally had to go hit up donut shops, liquor stores, 7-Eleven, Smart and Finals, all these different places to find a LA Times newspaper. And I went on a hunt. I bought six of them. You could look in my living room. Yeah, and, I need one, see. by the way. I, I need bought, my I copy. Bought, I bought six, you <laughs> feel me? Because it was it was that serious. It was that real. And like I said, LA Times did a great tribute. I think the Press Telegram or Telegraph, I bought one of those too because they had a nice you know, tribute as well. But between print newspaper selling out at $3 a pop, um, every electrical lit up billboard, being changed to a, a a picture of Kobe and Gigi all down the 405 highway, um, the fashion district, every store you go to is some kind of t-shirt with Kobe Bryant on it, to uh, the Staples Center and the big, big tributes that they did there to the practice facility, which one of my partners that took me to the airport went to right after he dropped me off at the airport. I didn't have enough time to, to make that stop, but I know it was a big tribute at the Lakers facility as well. And I just wanted to, you know, say that being in LA, they really did represent for their guy. It was, it was, I mean, it was a, people leaving their shoes that were signed, jerseys, 
um, like I said, Lyft drivers wearing gear. Like, it was all, everybody wrecked for Kobe for, from the time the news broke until I left. And I don't think it's going to stop for a long time. Absolutely. And make sure I get one of those papers before I leave here for tonight. Sure. But no, I, I'm even you saying that, it, it's making me more grateful right now in the moment because, that, as I mentioned earlier, I have an article being published on behalf of Kobe Bryant tomorrow morning. Right. And just in knowing that and in thinking about that and then knowing what he's meant to me, and I've already talked about all the plethora of ways that I emulated Kobe throughout my life, whether mm -hmm. it be intentional or unintentional, like us both being girl dads, um, just being able to know that I'll be able to kind of have a role in the history of his passing after what he meant to me in real life is like, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. It's great. And knowing that Kobe actually was somebody that advocated for the homeless community, especially when it came to youth homelessness. If you really go look up and do your research about Kobe and his foundations, because that's one thing that doesn't get talked about often enough when it comes to these athletes. And I've talked about that before here on this podcast, when I mentioned how I even got into sports and politics and what it means and, and what these players truly means when I talked about the Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch mm -hmm. project that I did when I was in college. And I talked about their foundations that never get discussed either. But fast forwarding it back to right now with Kobe Bryant, he was big on advocating and really trying to help end youth homelessness. Obviously, me, my profession is I'm a homeless advocate by way of being a vendor program manager at Street Roots. And I also am a staff reporter for this same organization, so I write for this paper as well. So being able to have folks from this particular walk of life that don't really have a voice and to be able to give them a voice in regards to Kobe Bryant, knowing that he advocated for this type of, for this population yeah, of people, sure. it's, 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 it's honoring for me to be able to say that I did that on Kobe Bryant's behalf. Yeah, so. it's, he was for the people on a lot of levels. The that's, the bottom, that's the bottom line. He was for the people. He wanted <laughs> to see people thrive. People. He wanted to see people win. And he wanted to see people earn it. I think he was a firm believer in earning it. He worked for it. It wasn't by mistake. It wasn't by solely God-given talent. He, he mimicked a work ethic that was a direct connection to the results. And I think that's Mamba mentality. And I do want to say one last thing, because this is a podcast that focuses on sports and politics. And I know we're getting lengthy and long-winded here, but I don't give a damn. But this is something that I want to bring up that I know some people are bringing up, some people aren't bringing up, because it's such a touchy topic in regards to the passing of this man, his daughter, and just knowing what his family and his daughters are currently going through, having to live with this fucked up reality but i want to talk about the redemption kobe and by that i mean this back in 2003 many of us may remember the rape case um, with kobe bryant and the girl in colorado that case ended up being settled he was never um, deemed as guilty he was never charged as guilty there was a settlement from this case and he after that spoke out about this particular situation and he thought that the relations that he had with that young lady was consensual and he was apologetic because obviously she didn't feel the same way. And I'm seeing people really kind of walk on eggshells when it comes to having this conversation about such a big part of Kobe's life. And there are a lot of women out there who have obviously faced sexual assault or dealt with sexual assault in one way or another. And because 
this news took place and it's such big news, they're being triggered in their own way with their own situations because at the end of the day, that rape case is attached to Kobe Bryant's name, whether you like it or not. It's attached to his name and his legacy and who he was as a person. And you just can't take that part away from him because that was such big news when it happened. But the reason why I want to more so talk about the redemption story is because of this. First off, before I even get into the redemption, every woman who is being triggered by the passing of Kobe Bryant because of what they may have been a victim of in the past from somebody else. My heart goes out to you. I know that this must be a very tough time for mm -hmm. you to be dealing with because everything is Kobe this, Kobe that. A lot of it more positive than it is negative. And some people are kind of trying to sweep the whole rape case under the rug. But the reality is that was a huge deal. It was huge news. It was something that took place and was huge in Kobe's life and may have affected you and triggered you and yours then and especially now. Um, so my heart goes out to you. You have every right to feel the way that you do. And I'm not here to try to downplay sway you or, nothing. or sway you from feeling that way. But for me personally, knowing that Kobe came out and said he thought things were consensual and he was apologetic about it, what Kobe Bryant did to follow up from that situation, obviously some of it by default because he had four daughters, maybe that might have been karma, hell I don't know, but the impact and the influence that he had on women following that entire situation to me, it's something that I will hold near and dear as a man who damn sure ain't been perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I ain't, I'm not sitting here indicting myself because I've never raped anybody, never been accused of it either. But I haven't always done particularly right by women. So in my own right, I'm not going to sit here and necessarily cancel Kobe after knowing what he did and how hard he worked to redeem himself. So A, that situation would never happen again. And B, he was able to show the value and how women were supposed to be treated in the long haul. And like I said, it's it's I know it's tough for some people to hear. It's tough for some people to take in. But especially being in this cancel culture society that we've had to live in in the past few years. But for me, I think that probably was a bigger accomplishment than anything Kobe Bryant had ever done on the basketball court was the way that he changed after. Because a lot of people, when it comes to sexual folks who commit sexual assault and folks who commit rape, statistics tell you most of those people become second, third, fourth time offenders. They, they become people who do this over and over and over and over again, especially when there's no repercussions. They don't go to jail or they go to jail for a little he while. He wasn't like, never, he wasn't, I don't get what you're saying. What I'm never saying is, really, he what, never was charged at that. He was never charged at that, but this is what I'm saying. He, he, what he did say when he was alive, he said that he thought it was consensual, but he was apologetic because the young lady obviously didn't think it was consensual. Well, she did. He said that because it was the public. But he, 
regardless, <laughs> regardless, being in that situation, though, I'm not saying Kobe committed or didn't commit anything. That's not what I'm saying. The I same know. way, I'm not saying women who are triggered right now shouldn't be triggered. I'm not here to say that either. But what I'm saying is because it did happen, not the, the actual rape, but because the story the became public, that the accusation happened and the story became public the way that he did, he worked hard to shine a light upon women and amongst women that I can't necessarily say he did before that situation happened. And I think he made it a point to shine a light, like I said, whether it had been by default because he had four daughters or whether it been that he genuinely was sorry that this even took place and that this even happened, that the accusations took place and that the accusations happened or that there was a misunderstanding between what took place between him and that girl. Because he was able to kind of redeem himself and really advocating for women on a plethora of levels, to me, that speaks highly of the dude. So that's all I got to say in regards to Kobe. But next up, we're going to talk a little bit about the Grammys. We're going to take a sharp turn from this sad and sobering situation. So keep it locked. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast with Devon Pouncey. Keep it locked, folks, as we continue to give you a winning formula. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast. Visit thatcast.com for more great content on ThatCast Network. So the Grammys, D-Boy, let's change gears here. Let's switch gears. The Grammys obviously recently took place, um, and I want to talk about and discuss how out of touch (laughs) I thought the Grammys were. And I didn't even watch the Grammys because I was so sad and so fucked up behind the Kobe situation. I was in the studio. I didn't care to watch the Grammys, but I was able to, I was hearing, I was hearing it. I seen all the winners. Grammys bunk as hell, bro. Tell me more. Tell me more. I mean, just from the, 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 the winners to everything, like just the logistics, um, it's just all like I don't I think it's too much involved in the show for every year it to be some like you expect it to be some malfunctions and some just it's just not it's never smooth it's never just a fully good report on the Grammys and like I said I didn't watch all of the Grammys I seen some of it while peeking in and out of the studio but I heard a lot of it and I seen the winners and they just None of it really adds up to me. None of it really matches what what's real. And I'll let you kind of piggyback off that as I pull this list back up to give you some examples of what the hell I'm talking about. Um, first off, I don't want to necessarily downplay the Grammys because I do think it was a big deal, especially for the people that actually won a Grammy. And because it still at least holds that much influence, um. I, Although I'm going to be very critical of the Grammys here in this moment, I do want to acknowledge the people that did come away as winners and how life-changing being a Grammy Award winner is going to be for those particular people. And I want to congratulate them because that is still a huge once-in-a-lifetime platform, honor, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to give them credit in that particular realm. Now, when it comes to the actual Grammys and why I think it's out of touch, First things first, obviously, you know, I like to take it to the culture. Um, the R&B album of the year was Ventura by Anderson Pack. Can I stop real quick? Because this was the one that threw me, and then you continue on real quick. Go for it. P.J. Morton was the winner of Best R&B Song. P.J. Morton, Say So, was better than No Guidance by 
Come on, Cuddy. See, this is come this on, is Cuddy. Where, That's like the out of touch stuff I'm talking about. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that take. Because what? Because it's featuring JoJo? No, that's not why. That's not why I say that. Because I don't think the Grammys are necess- I don't think it's based on just popularity. I don't either. I think, I think PJ Morton has definitely, when it comes to the R and B world, has definitely put himself in a high, high, Over high Chris place. Chris Brown? No, man. No, no but see, man, but, but, no. but if but if that's the case, then you got to give Not Chris even Brown over a popularity. Grammy. But what I'm saying is if that's the case, you got to give Chris Brown a Grammy every year because Chris Brown is going to make the record. That's he's a bigger I don't star. Agree with that. I don't uh, agree with that. He, you don't he, gotta he, give he it. Do. It's like Kobe being Chris the greatest in the out. NBA, but he didn't win MVP every single year. Yeah, but some people say that he should have won MVP every I mean, single that's, year. That's gonna be but his that, I feel like that's the I feel like that's the point that you're making right now in regards to Chris Brown, which is why I disagree. Because you're basically saying PJ Morton over Chris Brown. Well, yeah, no, I'm not I'm here saying to compare. The song. I'm saying the song. But Chris Brown, every time, I mean, majority of the time when Chris Brown drops a record, he has hits on hits on hits that didn't win Grammys that probably should have won Grammys. I don't, I can't give so you. So let's jump to why you think they're head. out of touch. Why you think they're out of touch? But the reason I think they're out of touch. First things first. Like I mentioned, you got Anderson Pack. He released a Ventura album. I remember back in June, you and I were on this podcast and we talked about it. And I said, at that time, we said halfway through the year, who had the best albums of the year? I said, I think Anderson Pack has the album of the year up to this point. So now seeing him reap the, the, the rewards and being able to get a Grammy off of it, no surprise to me. Then, taking it back to the culture again, best rap album of the year went to Igor by Tyler, the Creator. Again, no surprise to me. If some of you go back and look at my tweets back when they announced um, the nominees for the Grammys, and I saw Igor was nominated as the best rap album of the, of the year. I knew off tops that it would win that particular award, and it did. So two things that I kind of called in indirect ways. Well, Igor was more direct because it was when he got nominated as a Grammy, I said he'd win. As far as Anderson Pack was concerned, it was a bit more indirect, but I just said he had the best album up to that point in the year to me. And I think that ended up carrying throughout the remainder of the year as we saw he won a Grammy for it. But this is why I think it was out of touch. Because you heard, I don't know if you heard Tyler, the creator, but he basically came out afterwards, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he came out afterwards and basically dissed the Grammys because it was a rap album. And he was saying, why couldn't I have won a pop album? He said, I don't want to win any kind of urban awards because I think urban the word urban is a politically correct way of saying the N-word. But he's like, I'm bending hip-hop, but because of my race and my color and who I am, they're going to give me the best rap album when I hardly even rapped on the album. It wasn't really a rap album. I'm just bending hip-hop because that's what I'm being categorized as, but I really should have won the best pop album. So this is where I say they're out of touch because I think the same could be said for Anderson Pack. Although Anderson Anderson Pack, his album was definitely R&B influenced. I think there should be another category added to the Grammys, and that is the best neo soul album. I think that genre has become too big of a genre. It's influenced Anderson Pack. I think he's more of a neo soul artist. Facts. Tyler the Creator has come out and talked about the earlier influences of neo soul, um, the Erica Badu's of the world, which 
wasn't necessarily R&B back then, or it kind of bent what R&B was, the D'Angelo's of the world. These were the type of people who were considered the original neo-soul artists that influenced artists like Tyler, the Creator, and he's come out and said that. But, of course, a neo-soul category isn't going to be added to the Grammys because the winner is going to be black. Let's just be real. So, you're going to allow more black people to win if Tyler and Anderson are now put in a neo-soul category. That's going to open things up for somebody else to be able to win the R&B album of the year. For Meek Mill or another rapper to be able to win the best rap album of the year who actually rapped. And now you have this humongous genre today in neo-soul where it will be another black act that will probably win that award too. So that's the first reason I thought they were out of touch. The second reason I thought they were out of touch, because obviously they didn't pay the hell attention to all the drama and the conflict that went around the damn uh, Lil Nas X record mm -hmm. with, uh, why am I forgetting this? With Billy Ray Cyrus? With Billy Ray Cyrus. The record was a country record. It was at the top of the country charts. Billboard took it off of the country charts. They won the best pop duo for that particular record. Billy Ray Cyrus ain't no, no damn pop, pop artist. Mm -mm. He's a country artist. <laughs> mm -hmm. That song is not a pop record. It's I mean, a country a record. Feature, um, yeah, it was a, That's yeah, a, it's country a country record. record. It's a country record. So the fact that they didn't even get nominated for the best they country duo. Beat. I don't know. I don't agree with you on that one. What, I, think what, it, I think it's pop. I think it was the I most popular so. song in the world for a long time. It broke <sighs> records for being popular but with pop, the sound more because the song was pop i think it was pop because it was a few it was the first time we've heard a fusion of country and rap that boom boom that trap beat is not in no country music before i just told question. you i in my opinion the fusion between trap music which is popular as hell right now and country music which has always been popular combining to be pop that's what it was. Where, and this is where I think the Grammys fucked up because of the point that you just particularly made and the point that I mentioned Tyler, the creator, already made. In that case, Tyler, Tyler the creator, that... That Earthquake song is much more of a pop record than it is a rap record. Tyler, the creator, is and, a rapper, though. But it was a pop record. When he, If he dies, that they're going to say rapper, rap. Tyler, the creator. But that's not the pop problem. Singer. But that's the problem. That's the whole point but, he was making. But they not out of touch, the, though. Rappers that, are changing the game with all this melodical singing shit. It's hard to classify. You can't blame the Grammys on that. That's not Because they might classify. slip through with a popular song, and it's pop. Nah, I disagree. But these are still pop, rappers. I think pop music still has a sound, and I think that's the part that... You're kind of taking I think they away do from too. It. I'm not taking away from that. I think they do too. But when you combine country and rap, that's pop. Period. Like it's what? It, what? What? So? So pop? So are you telling me pop is a fusion of country and rap? No, no, no. I'm what saying is pop it? is popular music. Pop is the pop music is popular. That is the most before rap became the forefront of the shit. Pop was the was the genre but, of all popular but, music. But was rap, rap has record? become the pop. That was I just told you it was a combination of rap and country. Is that because of the beat or because of the cadence of the record? Because the, the cadence of the the, the cadence beat. of the record the beat. to me the would beat say makes more than the cadence. The beat we we've been talking. I I'm an artist. I could tell you the beat matters more than the cadence or what you talking about. The beat and the hook makes the song. You feel me? And once but again, the hook it, wasn't a rap. But hook. that's why I said it was a fusion <laughs> of rap. It was a fusion. It was literally a fusion. You took a a, a country cadence. And put it on a rap beat. That is a full fledged rap beat. So, so nothing about that. So beat when is Billboard, so what you're telling me is when Billboard took that song 
off of being the number one record on the country I think charts. It you thought been, they were right about that? No, I think it should have been the first one where it was on both at the same time, like how you retire 8 and 24. If you was great in both, I think it fits both genres. I literally do. So I think now, it should have stayed side by side in both categories on the chart. So if you if, if you infuse two genres of music, it then becomes pop because that's what it sounds like you're telling me. I could be wrong. I'm saying he but did that be, and it became the most popular. If it should be the at the top popular. of the rap charts and it should be at the top of the, the country charts. It, was, it broke the record. It was the most popular song in the world. Pop music is popular. That's what the short term is. But in it's the, popular. But in the case that they actually made a fight, took a stance, and make a, made a they statement wrong to say that. that it was a country record, he was wrong for putting Billy Ray Cyrus. No, I'm saying, I'm talking about Lil Nas X now. Lil Nas X was wrong for putting Billy Ray Cyrus on the record to make a statement that this is a country record? No, he was right for that. That's why I said it should have been on both sides. It should have been on the top country charts and on the top rap charts so, because it was a fusion of both. So that's why I say the Grammys is out of touch because that record was not considered at in the all. Country. It was not mentioned in country at all right. and it should have but that's, been. I don't think that's more so out of touch as much as it is confused because it's like... But they, they're they telling you why you shouldn't be confused. It's a country record. It hit the top of the country charts. They It was a whole debacle about it when they took it off of the country charts and then I went and got a country artist to do the remix and now me and the country artist wins the best pop record or the best pop duo rather than the best country duo. Top. I'm not saying because you could you should be on the top charts for both country and rap that that means you should win a Grammy in both departments. They probably gave it to him and they like we're not gonna give you the, for the same song. So they cho- they chose a side. You feel me? That's what I really think happened is that they like we can't give that's you that's out of touch though for them to choose that side and that's your opinion man, but, but I don't think it's out of touch but it is out of touch because that's he your literally you said a fact no no like the, a fact. The, but the fact is the man literally made it a statement to say it was a country song by putting Billy Ray Cyrus on the record I didn't do that he did <laughs> no, I, I mean he featured a country artist I get that that, that doesn't mean that on a country record. He's a feature, bro. He feature. It's like I could put a singing ass pop sounding person and it's still a rap song, bro. I could put The Jungle is a rap song. That sounds pop right now. That is if if Spliff was bigger than he is right now, he would be considered a pop type of art, a soul or but a pop art. But you rapped artist. on that record. So that's not the same thing. But, but he never again, rapped but on this record. But he used a rap beat. That's he, what I'm it, saying. That's it still had, a pop. It had trap elements for no, sure. No, that was a full trap beat. It no, the, fuck the, element. The, the, it's just the, a guitar. The banjo guitar, that's country. And, and, and <laughs> that's the same, country. And guitar that's is a in huge a, country and element. And it's in the jungle too, the same thing. Yeah, but the sound of it didn't sound anything like hip hop or rap. If you don't know, that's a trap beat. No, I said it had trap elements, but to say that no, it's a trap I, beat. it had equally as many country elements no, with the guitar that's banjo I, that's sound. It, that's where I disagree. And and then he went and got Billy Ray Cyrus on the record so that they could it's make the statement that this is a country record. And it's still that's he, out of touch to me. He was doing like a cover, bro. He's not so no then, country so then, artist, so bro. Then, He's not is, a country have, artist. So then my question would be because I'm gonna just take it right back to Tyler. And that's Brady, really what still he rapped. With a country accent, the fool said, I got the horses in the back on a trap beat. That's rap, bruh. That is a rap cadence. 
That's just, he just did it with it. He know did about it like that. Right, that song got bigger than he probably would have. He did that. I it's, don't know about it's just that. like the dude, the, the dude that rap. Uno, do, no tresi, a tato. We got that's, that's rap. But that's, that's not. That's, that's what rap. I'm saying. That's, that's a cadence. More, that's more. But a lot I got more the horses in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is, country. that's a country. That's with your a opinion. banjo, no, that's guitar, rap. beat behind that's it. That's rap with a uh, with yeah. a with a with a um accent. That's rap with an accent for real. Hell no. That's rap with an accent. You're crazy. I swear. I could I could go find that's that. Crazy. I could go find that same cadence in a rap song. I please swear to God, do. I will. Please I'll send do. it to you by tomorrow. And please do. Please sure do. And we'll talk about it next week. Keep it locked. Next up, I still think the Grammys are out of touch as shit. I think Tyler made a great point in saying they were out of touch. And I think that the Grammys just really have a fucked up way of thinking when it comes to race and who can win what because of a certain image that they want to uphold. But that's just me. Um, but anywho, next up will be our Take an L segment. And it'll be a Super Bowl edition. D-Boy. Fuck who's winning the Super Bowl. Who's losing the Super Bowl and why? Keep it locked. This is the Wake Up and Win podcast. Keep it locked, folks, as we continue to give you a winning formula. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast. Visit thatcast.com for more great content on ThatCast Network. D-Boy, who's losing the Super Bowl? Niners. <sighs> I know. It's hard, bro. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't even tell you why, man. I don't know. This one. This one is a serious toss-up in my head right now, but I just I think but Niners I mean, came I, off. Can, tongue, okay, so you gotta I, I go. Tell, you gotta I can stick tell you, with it. I can tell you why. I can tell you why. I rock with quarterbacks. I think that I know you hear since the beginning of time, defense wins games and championship. Champ. Well, I mean, I offense defense, wins games. Defense wins championship. I mean, I yeah, okay. I, I mean, I, I hear defense wins games. I mean, period. I yeah, but offense wins games, defense wins championships. I hear defense wins games and championships, but I hear what you're saying, though. But uh, I mean, you got to win to be a champion. So. Yeah, yeah, facts. So I just think that um, the quarterback. I think I'm still not not sold on Jimmy G. It could be some hate. It could be some. I didn't watch him enough. I, I always watch the stats. I always watch the scores. As we mentioned before, I'm I'm pretty big into sports betting and stuff like that. But I think, especially at a game of this caliber, is going to start with the quarterback. And in Mahomes, you're talking about a MVP last year. MVP last year. MVP last year. Um, I think the Chiefs are one of the few teams that offset the weapons that the Niners have. And with that being said. I know the Niners got a big ass tight end that's putting in work right now. What's his name? Uh, Kittle. Kittle. George Kittle. And then the the Chiefs got a big ass uh, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. <laughs> so it's like I think that the quarterback and those two tight ends are going to be major. I, I, the times that I've seen, which the Niners have had success pretty much the whole season, but the times I've watched them play, Kittle has had big ass games for more reasons, not just catching a ball, blocking. Just being an aggressive threat. And uh, I think the Chiefs have enough to offset that weapons-wise, plus a better coach. I've always been a fan of Andy Reid. He's a legend. He's a Hall of Fame coach, I think, undoubtedly, right? Would you agree with that? He's a Hall of Fame coach for sure. For but, sure. But what I will say in a rebuttal to that is Andy Reid has always been known for choking yeah, at some for, point for in sure. time before, and I, he, I think before the trend, he should have. I think the trend changes uh, – this year, I mean, we talking about a team who, at the beginning of this year, they were saying Jimmy G shouldn't even be the quarterback. 
I mean, that's very. I, I've heard. I've heard Niner fans saying they didn't want Jimmy G back there, and well, they had to ride Niner with it. Fans, but Jimmy G got like one of the biggest. No, no, no. I'm saying. Nine, I'm saying. Ever. No, I think I'm they saying were saying the he Niner shouldn't fans. have got as big of a contract than what he got. I, I heard don't people think they that weren't. I heard Niner fans that I'm telling you from experience, yeah, facts wise, that Niner fans that that I don't give a damn about the Niners, so I don't need to stay. No, but I'm just telling you, need to stay away from them. They ain't indictment on you. It's an indictment on them. But I don't think that was bad on them. I think Jimmy G has, didn't earn people's respect fully until this year. I think it was still kind of a toss-up. And I'm going to be honest, I think a, I think filling them Kaepernick shoes kind of had to do with that too. I think people were still with their heart feeling like Kaepernick should be in it, mm-hmm. in it especially over some... That's what I'm more so kind of gearing it to. I've heard comparisons like, if Jimmy G, the quarterback... Cap should definitely still have a spot and all that. I don't hear that same verbiage no, at the end no, of the year. No. You feel me? It, the things change. But I think we can agree that the Chiefs have a better quarterback. Or do you not think Mahomes? Absolutely. I think okay. Mahomes, okay. Yeah. So that and the threats and the coach, I just think that it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be within eight points. But I think the Chiefs win. <sighs> I'll be honest with you. I really don't know who's going to win this game. I think it's an evenly matched game. I've been wanting to say that I do believe that the Kansas City Chiefs is the most talented team in football this year. Um, obviously, they got big-time playmakers. They got speed. They got a dual-threat quarterback. They got great tight ends. They've got a run game. They've got a solid defense. But I've also been wanting to say that since the very beginning of this season, San Francisco has been the best all-around team in football. Um, They've been consistent. They've dealt with injuries. And even through those injuries, they still were able to uphold themselves as the best team in football, had the best, second-best record in football, I believe, because I think Baltimore had the best overall record in the regular season. But even with that, I say if you take away the injuries that the Niners dealt with because they did deal with injuries throughout the season, there's maybe that first time they played Seattle, they might have won that game. They probably would have had the best overall record had they been injury-free. Um, but I'm going to have to say the Niners are going to lose this football game. I, I, I don't You think the Niners are going to lose? Yeah. Okay, so you agree with I don't, me. I don't believe it in my heart. But yeah, but <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like, you. I, I, like it's, it's tough. It's I tough. I wouldn't want to put my money on either way. I, I, I don't believe it in my heart. But the reason why this will be to me, the Niners have passed every test necessary this year for me to believe wholeheartedly that they'll be able to stop this Kansas City offense. But when you start to think about the elements of Kansas City's offense, and you start to think of the Tyreek Hills of the world, and you start to think of the speed that they have on the ends when it comes to their receiving core. When you start to think of the, the, the dynamic tight end they have in Travis Kelsey, I think it's going to be really, really hard for the Niners' defense. And this is the best defense in the NFL I'm talking about. But I think it's the elements to the offense of Kansas City. Because I mentioned it before the last game. When they beat Green Bay, I thought Green Bay had a shot because of Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback. Green Bay didn't stand a chance. But what I don't think Green Bay had is outside of the quarterback. I think having the fastest player in the league like a Tyreek Hill as a wide receiver and him being able to always be a threat for the long ball and then having the best tight end in the NFL and Travis Kelsey to where you have to kind of 
be glued to Tyreek Hill down the field or he's going to make an explosive play. But with that, now Travis Kelsey has more of a one-on-one type of a situation. You can't really necessarily zone them. And then you do have the dynamic dual threat and Patrick Mahomes, who obviously can throw the ball long. He can throw the ball short, but he can also run and he can buy time for the fastest receivers and the best receivers in one-on-one actions such as a tight end like Travis Kelsey to be able to get open and he buys them time to be able to do that. To me, over a span of 60 minutes, if San Francisco's defense can stop that, they have to be considered one of the greatest defenses of all time, period. Mm -hmm. If they can be able to stop all of those threats taking place at once, the long ball threats, the speed threats, the physicality threat, and Travis Kelsey, and the dual threat quarterback, and Patrick Mahomes, I think we'll be talking about the San Francisco 49ers having the best defense of all time. And that is saying a lot. And there's nothing that the Niners haven't done this year to tell me otherwise. Mm -hmm. So that's even more so a reason why this is really tough for me, but... I think I gotta go with the Chiefs, and I hate the fucking Chiefs. Dude, I I'm, want the I'm Niners do, to I'm win. I'm gonna do even. I'm gonna do even a further take just to make this interesting because I want to see who's gonna be the closest because this is so hard. Give me a final score prediction. <laughs> I had to do it. I just want to see. I don't think. I don't think either team scores over thirty in this game. It's bro. crazy. You said. Can I tell you mine first? Go ahead. Twenty-seven, twenty-one. I can see it being something, something like that. that. 28, 20, I, I don't, you know, but, something but like that. 28, is, 24. But in that case, but <laughs> but with that being the case, you damn near got to give it to the Niners. <laughs> That's why it's such a tough decision because if the Niners can keep it a low-scoring game, they'll win because they're good at being able to kind of control. That means they're but dictating that's what I'm tempo. Saying. I think it's going to be think... close, but I think the deciding factor is going to be at one it's going to be some kind of defensive lapse when it comes to the running threat of Mahomes too. I think even with the brilliant dominant defense that the Ooh, Niners have, they got D. They got D. I, I, and once them? again, I think it's going to be one of them one play breaks that Alexander. It, that's why I think it's going to be less than a touchdown differential because I really think it's going to be who gets that one big play. What team does it's that? Gonna la- it's going to come down to a play. It, it might not be Kansas the last City play of the game. I think it's going to make that play. That's what I'm saying. I think Damn, it's going to be one of them game. plays that's going to happen. It's not going to be the end of the game. We're going to look back and be like, when he did that or when they did that, that was the difference when it's all said and done. Whether it's a missed field goal, it's going to be something like that that we're going to look back and be like, Damn, that was that the difference was the of the game. Whether it's the running, the rushing yards for quarterbacks being something on that thing is going to be lopsided. lopsided. It's going to be something. It's, whether it's who throws the most interceptions, two to zero, whatever. Something is going to be lopsided, and we're going to say that's why they had that better chance to win. Oh, man. I, 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 I hate the Chiefs. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Come on, I Raider hate fans. The Chiefs. I hate the Chiefs a lot more than I hate the Niners, and I hate them too. So, but I do have my boy. If they win, he'll get a ring. Jason Verrett, shout out to my brother. Uh-huh. Um, I would love to see him get a ring. That's the only reason. And um, Grandpa, we you know yeah, our grandfather, yeah, grandfather was a big time yeah. Niners fan. Mm-hmm. Grandpa, um, and man. then also on a more personal level, 
Mac Dre died in Kansas City. I'm not here for that. I seen that today. So, so, too. so, so, when you start to kind of think about those elements, there's literally nothing I like about Kansas City. So I do not want them to win. I'm going for God the Niners. I'm talented. going for the Niners. Chiefs gonna win, but I just made my decision. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going for the Niners. Chiefs win 28-21. <laughs> Damn. It's All a wrap right. though. What a what is episode, what huh? We caught yeah. up on some LA. Yeah, I mean, some it was a lot. I mean, tragic Kobe. We, we had to discuss some predictions. We had to cover a lot here. I work and politics and your line of work. A lot. Yeah, but I do want to say, lastly, and this is going to be real brief. We're not going to make a topic out of it, but um, I did mention earlier that I was going to loop back to the Valerie Cleary interview because I do think the interview was very important. Um, the newspaper did sell pretty well this week. And usually does when we have sports stories in there. So um, that's pretty dope. But I don't want to give away the entire interview because Valerie Cleary and I talked about a lot. We talked talked about college athlete compensation, which she had a very interesting take on. Uh, We talked about Oregon women's sports. Many of you know um, how dynamic women's basketball has been in this state, obviously. The charge being led by Sabrina Ionescu at the University of Oregon. Killing it. Oregon State is a top 10 women's basketball team last year. Portland State, which she's the athletic director of, won the Big Sky Conference Tournament and was able to go to the NCAA National Tournament last year. So there's a lot that we cover. But the one thing in particular that I think is really important for folks to just read into, um, I asked her a question in regards to how race and gender was advantageous to her being able to get to the point where she is today. And the reason why I think that's very important is because we know that women, especially women of color, black women to even be more so direct, um, are oppressed on so many levels. And we oftentimes, when a, when a woman of color, a black woman, a woman in general has success, we oftentimes want to hear about her struggles and all the oppression she had to deal with, all the unfairness that she had to deal with to be able to persevere through all of that to get to the point where she is today. And I think that there's a place for that in this world. I think that those discussions are very necessary and need to be had. And I don't think that you can put a cap on those discussions being had. But I also think that we need to learn how to take advantage of what we do have, especially at this point in time in history where we are today. So in the case of Valerie Cleary, she talked about a bill in Oregon that was passed where head coaches and and sport administrators in college, there had to be a diverse pool for people who can get these particular jobs. And that's part of the reason why she was able to get the job that she has today. Um, she talked about an organization that like keeps up on these statistics so that you can have something to piggyback on in regards to if you do want to make the argument that is an unfair system here and that there should be more women representing as athlete directors at the Division One level. Um, and she also mentioned about how Now that she's in the position that she is in, because you're starting to see diversity be such a hot topic and be such a huge conversation, and you're starting to see 
um, more and more people kind of rebuttal uh, old systemic barriers that once were in this particular country and in some time and in some cases still is in this particular country. She talked about how now, because she has been able to get to the point that she's at and she checks certain boxes, she's receiving phone calls day in and day out of people offering her jobs, jobs seeing if she's I interested bet, bet in these particular jobs. And mind you, she just signed a five-year extension just last month at Portland State University. So no, she's not interested in going anywhere else. So please don't mistake what I'm saying right now for that because she's good and she is very happy and enjoying where she's at and she'll be there for the next five years. But nonetheless, because these pools for these job searches have to be more diversified, her name is coming up left and right for certain positions to see trophy. if she's if interested as a trophy and a, a, a trophy. And I think I hate the to same, use that term, but absolutely, it's like, that's what it's absolutely, is. absolutely. And I think the same actually just happened with our former police chief, Daniel Outlaw, Chief Daniel Outlaw. She just left Portland last month, and she's now the police commissioner in the city of Philadelphia. Anybody that knows, it's obvious Philadelphia is a bigger market. Philadelphia is a more prominent market and it was basically a step up coming from Portland to Philadelphia and that's no knock on Portland because Portland is a big city and it ain't too many cities that you could leave from in America to be able to get to a city as big and as prominent as Philadelphia but she did just that but the police commissioner before her had some bad situations, got caught up doing some wrong things, certain accusations in regards to women. So obviously the city had to switch up and kind of do something else, such as bring a black woman who is already a police chief in a big market like Portland and hire her as a police commissioner in the city of Philadelphia. I'm not saying she didn't earn it, so please don't take it that way. All I'm saying is take advantage of what you can, when you can, because there are opportunities being presented if you just stick through it and 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 and, and kind of stay steadfast in whatever it is that you're doing because certain loopholes are being opened up and certain laws and bills are being put in place and being replicated from state to state where it is going to be more advantageous for you to be a woman or a woman of color, you name it, to be able to be qualified for these positions and to be more of an attraction for these positions because literally the law is saying this is what it has to be mm -hmm. and society is doing the same. So take advantage of it. That's all I got to say. The message to close out on a good That's episode. All I, gotta say. Huh? I ain't really got too much uh, announcements either. You know where to find me, DBOI. LTD, D-Boy LTD with an I, not a Y. Um, it's late. We had a long day. Yeah, good day. 11.48 to be I'm, exact I'm on Thursday good, night. Feel me? Yeah, Talk I'm going to get some rest. It's New Paper Friday tomorrow, so it's always the busiest day of the week for me. And then right after that, I got four more games to do this weekend after just doing a big game tonight. But y'all know where to find me. Just search my name, Devon Pouncey, or search me at Pounce underscore Sation. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Try to keep your head up throughout this tragic situation safe. and be safe throughout all the madness that we've had to go through this weekend and the tragedy and the trauma and the hurt that we've all had to deal with as a society this past week. Losing a legend in Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and the seven others still, still unreal.
yeah, with that being said, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go in.